Man, what an honor it is to be here uh, back at home. This is home for Erica and I. Um, but uh, for those of you who do not know, and I, I realize there's a lot of new friends here, we relocated to uh, California. We moved to Orange County. And so, I, yes, I know there are worse places to go, trust me, but somebody's got to go. God, call me to Barbados, right? So, um, but we relocated uh, in January after locking in uh, 10 years at Christ for the Nations and seeing all that God did. In fact, Back when Pastor Adam was the director there, he was the one who hired me to come on at CFNI. And, uh, and Mrs. Bozars can attest to that as well, because she's the one who kept me in line to make sure I was still a man of God every day. So, but I am just so honored to be here. We left uh, here in Texas and moved to California because we joined uh, uh, what, we, what would become Missions Me and One Nation One Day. One Nation One Day does these historic uh, uh, events that really just go into every single sphere of society. In fact, in 2011, the way it began was we found ourselves uh, in, the pres- in the office of the president of Honduras, and we told Mr. Uh, President Barbosa, we said, Mr. President, the homicide rate is here, the suicide rate is here, the poverty rate is here, and we believe that we serve a God that can change all of that. What, perhaps what if God was speaking to us through Isaiah 66, 8, when he says, can a nation be changed in a day? Can a nation be born in a moment? Can things change in, in, in a second? What if he was talking about your nation? Mr. President, we believe that God wants to birth a new Honduras and change your nation. We want five, we would want to request five things from you. Number one, would you stand with us two years from now and declare that Honduras is a new nation under Jesus? Number two, would you open up all the borders of your nation so we can ship in millions of dollars of humanitarian aid? Number three, would you go open up every high school? in the nation so we can send teams to do assemblies with the gospel preach, uh, altar call, and the laying on the hands. Would you also give us the largest stadiums in the largest cities in your nation, and would you underwrite the cost for the sound, stage, and lighting for all of it? Well, that's, you know, just a couple small asks in there. And uh, so President Barbosa took his, uh, a resolution on his desk and signed it into law right there, thus birthing the One Nation, One Day movement. It's incredible to watch all that God has done. I mean, when we went into, we went from there, uh, from Honduras to the Dominican Republic, from the Dominican to Nicaragua, we reached one in every seven people in Nicaragua face-to-face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have seen 2.5 million people come to Jesus in just seven years. We have mobilized the largest teams ever, and this summer, literally 14 days from today, We have mobilized the largest missions team in the history of the church. We are bringing 5,000 people from 43 nations, 140 plus churches, to join a global team to pound the ground for national transformation in the country of Peru. And we are raising up 5,000 missionaries in Peru for them to take spiritual responsibility of their nation. And it is incredible to watch all that God is doing. We are doing everything from sports clinics to medical clinics. Just in the medical clinics, we'll have 500 doctors. There'll be pediatricians. There'll be optometrists. There'll be dentists. We have taken three boats on the Amazon, uh, starting Iquitos. And we have taken three boats and uh, outfitted them and, and remodeled them, basically, to be triage centers to go up and down the Amazon River to tribes that have never had medical care and then preaching Jesus to them. We're going to Machu Picchu, where all the skepticism and all the cynicism is at. And 
and we're going to see the power of God move up on the mountaintops and some of the highest peaks in one of the seven wonders of the world. We're going into the largest, the second largest city in the Western Hemisphere, Lima, and we're going to go from plazas to high schools to stadiums. We have secured the largest stadium in, the, in South America and Latin America, it holds 100,000 people, and it looks like we're going to have problems with just putting everybody in there. We're doing 10 stadiums at the same time around the nation, guys. I mean, it is huge. And what I love about this is our vision is to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. That there is not a hero, that there's not a name. There's not a personality. There's not a ministry gifting that blows in and blows out. The hero of the world is the local church. And the church united can do what the world divided cannot do. And what we are seeing is whole movements coming together and being a part. Everyone you can think of is at the table when it comes to national transformation. I, 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 my goal is not to name drop. My goal is to tell you that God is causing such a unity to grip the church again that we are going to be known not for just having greater services. We're going to have for greater cities. We're going to transform nations. We're going to reach generations. There's going to be legacy loose all over the world. And we're seeing it happen. When you have a global team and you've got people coming from Afghanistan and Cuba to be a part of a mission, we have a church from Afghanistan jumping on the team. When you have stuff like that happening, when you have presidents calling going, how in the world did you build Honduras a bigger airport? Like, the, 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 here's the problem. I might as well just tell you the context of that. Um, you know, the truth is, is that their, air, their airport was a Category 5. They needed a Category 7. A Category 7 can land 747s. Well, they had never had a 747 land in their country. So we had to go to the, uh, the Minister of Tourism. We had to go to the President of Honduras. We had to go uh, to all these cabinet members. And we had to ask, what do they need? They said, we need a longer runway and a bigger terminal. And we don't have any private funding to do that. So no problem. We've got the private funding. So uh, we'll just raise it up. So we went and God supplied millions of dollars for us to build the nation a bigger airport. And the first 747s that ever landed in the nation were full of missionaries and God's ambassadors. I am telling you, the prayers of years are being answered right now. It's incredible the type of movement that it's sparking. And here we are seeing God going to do it in Peru. And I just think, I think it's a credit to where Eric and I are at for the amazing leadership of Pastors Adam and Pastor Jamie. Come on, do you love the leadership in this house? I just so respect. They have been there for us in so many times, even in the time of transition to do things correctly, been there for our marriage, for our children, for our finance, for our ministry, have spoken into places uh, that need to be spoken to. I'm grateful, and I think what we're sitting in right now is a direct reflection of not just them, but an amazing team all across the board. Come on, do you love the leadership? Do you love the people who serve, all the small group leaders, everyone? This is a great church to be in, is it not? I'm going to tell you right now, if you ever complain about Church on the Hill, you might as well punch yourself in the throat. I'll tell you right now, you got incredible worship, you got great preaching, you got great connection and great community. I'm telling you, you have lost your mind if you find problems with this church. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Can I just say this? He, he didn't ask me to say this, but I, you know, man, I, I'm in church a lot. I feel like I go to church more than Jesus, okay? And so, like, sometimes I feel, I, I'm like, how is this church even surviving? But I know the secret sauce to this church is an incredible amount of prayer and integrity and empowerment, and it's all throughout people finding who God is, and then find their unique call and claim from heaven on their life, and then being exposed to all the opportunity they can to see God use them. This is a good church. I don't know if this is your first time or your hunting time, but you in a good church. Come on, can we thank God for great churches?
I'm just going to do this real quick. We wrote books. They're out there. We have curriculums. They're out there. I want to get into this message, okay? Um, my publisher will be happy now. Um, but I'll I, uh, I, I be honest with you. I, I, I have a fresh word in my heart. I feel like there's a prophetic edge on, especially for this service this morning. So are you ready for the word? No, no. Are you ready for the word? Okay. Like, listen, I, I don't do quiet church. If you like your church quiet, you do not want to go to heaven. Okay, because there's going to be one loud Mexican up there cooking as much carne asada as possible and worshiping as loud as possible. So we might as well have heaven on earth up in this building. Are you with me? Can you talk back to me? Somebody say yes. Say, come on, somebody. Say, come on, somebody. I don't know. Spell it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Are you ready for the word, though? All right, I believe you. I believe you. Turn on your Bible and go to Genesis. Yes, I know what day we live in. Genesis 16. Genesis, the 16th chapter, and we're going to parachute in the middle of a situation. I really feel like many times I reflect on my life and I look at the month of June. You know, I'm so, most of the time I'm very, very busy in this month. Um, and I would always reflect back to some of the commitments I had made to God in January when we're all in that, that you know, the atmosphere of new. What's the new commitment? What's the new vision? What's my 2019 verse? You know, the whole thing. And many times what happens is I'm right in the middle in June. And the middle is most of the time where people malfunction. It's not necessarily starting, and it's, not, and it's not necessarily finishing. It's always the middle. And I feel like there might be some people in between promise and fulfillment, and they don't know how to get from the promise into fulfillment. And the reason why is they're not handling the middle correctly. And so I, I think that someone that showcases this so well is a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and gives him very specific promises. One of those promises is that you will be the father of many nations. That is spiritually speaking and physically speaking. And he is, he is, he is journeying with this word. As he receives it, he gets excited. And how many ever got a prophetic word and you got a promise from God and you were so convinced that tomorrow God's going to pull the strings and make the connects and it was happening? Anybody else? Right? Yeah, we still believe that way. It don't matter what it is, right? And I, uh, but Abram begins a journey uh, with this uh, conversation, this promise in his heart. And between Genesis 12 and Genesis 16, some scholars believe it was about 10, if not 12 years. And so he begins a journey with this, but nothing happens. No children, no promise fulfilled, nothing. And then we read what he does here, Genesis chapter 16. Look at this with me, verse 1. It says, now Sarai, who was Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had this Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Hagar, or Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord's restrained me from bearing you children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall chain, obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. I want you to pay attention. Repeat that after me. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. I want you to remember that. Verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, Sarai became despised. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. Let's pray for a moment, church. Come on, pray with me. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I thank you for this room. I speak to this atmosphere and I say that you are full of faith. You are full of hope. You are full of peace. You are full of joy. God, I speak over Mansfield, over here in Cedar Hill. I break every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every lie, every demonic harassment. I call it down right now in Jesus' name. And I call every one of your men and women into their season. I call them into their promise and into their destiny now in Jesus' name. Let there no be more, let, let, let no longer 
longer be uh, delays caused because we mishandled the middle. Let there not be fears developed because we mishandled the middle, God. Let us put on the spiritual muscle we need in the middle to be able to carry the fulfillment of what you have promised and put on our lives, God. Claim us this day with a fresh revision and a fresh hope for fulfillment of what you put on us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. I'm calling this message, in the meantime. In the meantime, what do you do in between promise, prophetic word, vision, and completion, fulfillment? I remember one time I had to be in the meantime. I I, I don't know about you, but I am impatient. I'm just going to confess that right now. Uh, God's working on me. I, I I, I love it when people tell me, no, I'm the most patient person on the planet. Really? Let's go watch you in traffic. Let's see how patient you are there. All this demonic traffic you got right now on 67 and all this, right? I, I, uh, I, love, uh, I love the lessons that God gives me in my life. I remember one time I was, uh, I was working in my backyard. This is back when I was youth pastoring in Euless, and, and I didn't realize it, uh, but I was in the middle of all this poison ivy. I went to a conference that night. I came back, and I looked at my leg, and my leg had just elephant. I mean, it just ballooned, boom, just like this. I, I didn't even have, you couldn't even see my knee. I mean, you couldn't even see my ankle. It, I had cankles. I mean, it was just straight from a calf muscle to a foot. I mean, it was just ugly, awful, bad, negative. No, no, bye, Felicia, no, right? And so I, I remember, you know, being Hispanic, I'm like, well, let's put some Windex on it and put it up on a pillow, and we're going to be all good. So I, I went to bed that night thinking that all the juices would just flow back up in here and make me look swole. But, uh, it, like, that's not how it works, apparently. So I remember I, get, I, I wake up the next morning, and my leg had gotten even bigger. And I couldn't, I, I was preaching at our church that Sunday. I couldn't even fit into any of my shoes. I, had, I could only wear sandals, and it was pathetic. I mean, my, my foot was so big, my toes couldn't even get to the, to the, to the long of the sandal. It was bad. But I remember prancing around the whole message, and a nurse in our church comes up after the service and says, um, hey, you need to go to the hospital. That's not normal. You got an allergic reaction. You need to go to the hospital. Apparently, she doesn't know how Mexicans do it, because after church, we don't go to hospitals. We go to eat. Can I get a good amen? And I, that goes for all the, come on, caramel people. Where are my brown people? Come on, talk to me. And where the chocolate folk at? I know chocolate goes out to eat, too. And where the whipped cream at in this room? You know exactly what I'm talking about. We all just one big Sunday. Everybody got sweet tooth in here. So I... I I go to eat, and I go, where's the best ways to eat? Your mama's house, right? So I go to my mom's house. She's right here in the front row, and she comes to this church. And uh, I remember we go there, and my wife, who is also here, Eric, would you stand? I forgot to introduce you. Would you say hi to everybody? This is my wife, Erica. And we have four beautiful kids. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage on Wednesday. Yeah, no, give it up for her, really, not me. (laughs) Wow, woman of faith. And so I... Uh, my, wife, my wife and my mom ganged up on me and were like, no, you got to go to the hospital. So my dad's like, I'll take you. I said, I'm not going to the hospital, but I'll go to one of these little clinics, right? I went to this thing called Care Now. They should really rename that. Uh, like Care Later, Care Less, I Don't Care, something more accurate, you know what I'm saying? Because you walk up in there and like, mm-hmm, 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 right? I mean, I get back there. And the doctor who's on, uh, on duty comes back. This dude has a Hawaiian shirt on, khaki shorts, lo- long white socks, and some all-white Reeboks. And I'm thinking, there is no way you're a doctor. And, he's t- and he talks like out the side of his mouth like this. I don't know why. I don't know why I remember that. Anyways, and, I, and I'm like, there is no way he's a doctor. And if he's a doctor, he got his degree in the mail. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I, 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 he sits there and just, he doesn't even ask me any questions. He just looks to me and says, you got a blood clot. You got to go to the hospital. I'm like, how do you know that? He's like, I know these things. You got a blood clot. You got to go to the hospital. 
So now I'm all kinds of nervous, right? So I'm getting to the hospital. Now this hospital's not in the best part uh, of Dallas, okay? So I walk into the emergency room. I walk in, and of course, there's a woman sitting behind the desk, and she's got all the sass. I'm telling you, all the attitude. It looked like Medea was sitting behind the desk, okay? And so I go back there, and I, and I said, ma'am, listen, I got an emergency this the emergency room, and I, I, apparently I'm going to die because I got a blood clot, and I need to see a doctor right now. She didn't even look up at me. She just said, mm-hmm, just fill out this book, baby. You're going to be okay. I said, what? I mean, she handed me this stack of papers. I said, ma'am, this is an emergency. I'm fitting to die. You want me to f- fill out an autobiography over here? I can't be doing this. And she said, baby. I can make you, ten, make you wait 10, 12, 24 hours if I want to. Now, you want to fill this out or you want to wait on me? I said, I'm going to fill it out. I'm going to fill it out. So I go and sit down, talk about a waiting room. <laughs> like, they're so awkward, but there's hundreds of chairs. Now, everybody knows this, that in a waiting room, there's a rule. There's at least a one-chair rule in between people you don't know to sit by. Am I right? Come on, look at the church right now. There's one seat. In between people like, hey, I love you, you're a brother in Christ, but stay over there, right? Like, you smell funny. So like, I mean, like there's a one-chair rule. Unless you're the most socially inept person on the planet, you don't know this rule, okay? Which explains some, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, people are like, so I, I remember I'm sitting there. This all happened in the span of five minutes. I kid you not, talk about a waiting room. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden a guy comes in, and he's like, ah, 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 and I'm looking at him like, oh God, please. You ever walked in, sat in a waiting room, like, please don't let that person sit next to me. Oh, please. And they're like, is that your take? Oh no, come on, see, you know, you're so nice and Christian. And so I, I remember, I, 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 he's like, ah, ah, and he's, where does he sit? Right next to me. Right next to me. So I, you know, I'm intrigued. I'm like, hey, what's, what's going on with you? And he's like, ah, my hernia just broke through my stomach and it's sticking out. And it's like out like this. I'm like, hey! This dude got an alien come out of his body right here, and you go make him fill out paperwork? Then another guy comes in. He's like, mmm, mmm, mmm. Where does this man decide to sit? Hundreds of open chairs. Where does he decide to sit? On the other side of me. I kid you not. I said to him, I said, hey, what happened to you? He said, I just got shot, and I think they're still chasing me. I'm like, what? What? Are you, are you serious? Like, I mean, I'm freaking out. As soon as that comes out of his mouth, all of a sudden the back doors, uh, someone had escaped uh, uh, from the back room completely high on something, something. Like, they was apparently good because they were high, 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 high. And they come out, boom, kick the doors. And this lady comes out with an unbuttoned medical gown. And she, starts, she has two balloons tied to her elbows with two cups of coffee. And she says, I'm the evangelist of the Lord sent to waiting rooms and hospital. And I'm here to declare that the glory of the Lord is in this place. And she starts doing this. And, I mean, there was a glory. It just wasn't the Lord's glory. You know what I'm saying? It's awkward. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, please get me out of here. I finish writing the book. I go and take it to the uh, receptionist, and somehow she gets me back there. He takes one look at me and says, oh, that's poison ivy. Here's some cream. And I'm like, all this for that? Are you kidding me? I mean, the next day I was catching on a plane. I'm going to go with you, and you were preaching in Columbia. I I remember, I I look at that waiting room experience, and I always compare it to life. Like, we don't like, have you ever been in a waiting room? Have you ever noticed they all smell different? And if there's a common smell, it's all medical gauze. Have you ever noticed this? And then all the good magazines, they're not there. All the latest ones, because they were, they were taken by all the hood people. Come on, where are my ghetto people at? You know exactly. I'm, I'm, hello, I'm from El Paso, the 915. I'm from where we cut people first and ask questions later. That's where I'm from. I felt like El Chapo was my uncle growing up. Okay, that's where I'm from. So, like, I, I'm like, I, I mean, all waiting rooms. And, it's, and, and many times... It's you go through waiting rooms and you just learn that you're so impatient. Our culture is not patient. 
My goodness, if we have to wait 30 seconds for our mobile order at Starbucks, we think anarchy is broken out, total chaos, and where is God? Is he on the throne or is he popping Prozac wondering what's going on? I mean, we just have so much hit us. It's, it's like waiting, but you have to understand, waiting is an elementary truth. Waiting is part of the basics. In fact, Psalms says, for, Psalms 14.3, it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I, I, I think if we don't know how to wait, how can we ever be trusted with things? If we don't know how to wait, no, no wonder why we run from a relationship to a relationship. No wonder why we went from bad business decision to bad business decision, because we don't know how to wait. No wonder why our prayer lives could be stronger because we've lost the art of waiting. And if we're going to learn to wait, we ought to learn how to handle in the meantime. Because it's the promise that harasses us, it's the fulfillment that drives us, but it's in the meantime that prepares us. And the truth is, if you don't go through the process to get it, you will never have the power to keep it. I promise you that. So we have got to learn that we are in the meantime people, and that's okay. If you're in the space of waiting in any area of your life, let me give you three questions to ask yourself. Three questions, all right? Number one, number one, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? You know, I, I remember one time I was coming out of the gym, and, uh, and I got this text message. And I kid you not, this is how it was phrased. So this is how I read it. This is the voice I heard. I got this text message from a number I don't know. And it said, yo, what's up? This Antoine. This Darnisha? Now, I meant to reply, this is not Darnisha. But the autocorrect, kid you not, said, this is Darnisha. So he was like, sup, girl, was popping. And I, I didn't have nothing else to do that night. So I thought, man, I'll be Darnisha, no problem. I got stuck. I can do that. Damn. So I, he said, what you up to? I said, oh, I just got out of the gym. And he's like, oh, you working out? And I said, yeah, I like to keep fit. <laughs> you know, the whole thing, right? Emojis, emojis, emojis. And uh, he said, what you going to do now? I said, I'm tired. He said, you should go to bed then. I hope you sleep good. I'm like, that is very nice of Antoine to care about the condition of my rest. This is, this is awesome. So I get home. I, I, I'm in bed. I, once I'm in bed, my, like when my head hits the pillow, I'm off limits. Eric and I have this marriage boundary. Like if I, I'm barely saved when I'm tired. Come on, anybody else? Can we get some honest people in church this morning? If I'm tired, I promise you, I'm so carnal. Don't ask me a spiritual question. I'm tired. I, I, I need my sleep. I don't drink coffee. All right, can you imagine me on coffee? All right, I could burn this church down if I drink a cup of coffee. All right, you do not want me on coffee. I'm telling you. But I, like I am sitting, laying in bed, and I hear my phone buzz, and I'm thinking, that could only be one person. <laughs> so I grab my phone. Sure enough, it's Antoine. And he says, sweet dreams. And I'm like, oh, how nice. So I start laughing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm laughing while I'm texting him back. And my wife says, who are you texting? Antoine. <laughs> and she, she's, like, she's like, who's Antoine? I say, he wants to talk to Darnisha. She said, who's Darnisha? I said, I guess I'm Darnisha. <laughs> She said, so you're a married man texting another man to be a woman. <laughs> Pretend to be a woman. I said, baby, when you say it like that, it sounds bad. She said, I don't even know how to go to Pastor Adam about this. I said, don't. <laughs> this went on for two weeks. <laughs> oh, you think I'm lying? No, I ain't lying. Look up the hashtag, days of Darnisha. Bless yourself. Bless yourself. In between, I'm telling you, go to lunch and be like, this man is crazy. I'm telling I'm still a man of God, though. And I, I remember, I, I, I texted, and I would post it, and people from around the world were messaging me, going, keep it going, keep it going, make a profile. I mean, it was just so heavy. It was crazy. I, people call, like, people from Europe were like, you're the best pastor ever. You know? It was awesome. But then he said, hey, can I talk to you on the phone? 
yo, I, I mean, I can do a Darnisha over text, but, you know, some things are going to stick out, you know what I'm saying, uh, on the phone. So I go to Erica. <laughs> and I said, babe, listen, I need you to act like Darnisha. I need, I need her to be strong, and she's a strong woman. I mean, she, like, works for T'Challa, you know what I'm saying? Like, she, she, in, she in it all the way, you know what I'm saying, the whole thing. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, and Erica tried so hard, and, and she couldn't do it. So he would call, and I would just send it to a generic voicemail. He would keep calling, keep calling. And he says, why are you dodging me? You know what? I feel like I'm talking to a guy. And I said, more than you know, homie. <laughs> more than you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, this went on, finally had to let him down, poor guy. But uh, truth is, let's be honest here, he had no idea whose voice he's listening to. I think many times we hear what sounds right or might sound accurate or sounds pure, but it is the voice of another. It is not the revealed will of God, and all it's telling you to do is shortcut your way into a kingdom identity or somehow coupon code your way into your destiny. Listen, your destiny is set at a price. The price is the price. It is never going on sale. It's not going to end up in clearance. There is no layaway plan. There is one plan. Take up your cross and follow after him. Trust in him with everything you have. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In every way you have to be familiar with his voice you know what the waiting process teaches you in accuracy of his voice when people I, I get asked all the time we preach all around the world we, we're, we're in conferences and churches all over the place and people always want me to hear God for them I love it when people walk up to me and go you know God's telling me that you have a word for me I'm like well if you heard him if you like that with him then you should have just asked him what the word was huh listen I'm from the hood. Let's skip the middleman. You know what I'm saying? I want the direct supply. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, listen, the truth is, if we mishandle the waiting season, we'll listen for the voice of opportunity. We'll get familiar with the voice of promotion. We'll even get familiar with the voice of success over faithfulness just because we want a refreshing or we want relief from the waiting season. Isn't it interesting? It says, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. You know what heeded means in the original Hebrew? It means obeyed. Abram obeyed the voice of another. This word, when you go to the law first and you study scripture, you want to go to the first time it's ever mentioned so you can find the purity of the word, you go and you find it in the garden. It's the same setup. Look at this. I'll, I'll just read it to you. It says this. Sarai spoke to her husband Abram. Eve spoke to her husband Adam. Adam listened or, I'm sorry, yeah, Abram listened or obeyed the voice of his wife. Adam obeyed the voice of his wife. Sarai took Hagar to Abram. Eve took the fruit to Adam. Sarai gave Hagar to her husband. Eve gave the fruit to her husband. Are you seeing the chain? Of, are you seeing a cycle? I think many times people, they get so familiar with another voice because it's the voice of a lesser goal. It's the voice of settling. It might even be the voice of comfort. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I said, Lord, this is just too hard. And I, I kid you not, one time he said, it's a holy harassment, son. It's a holy discomfort. I, I am birthing something on the inside of you. I remember when I was praying into my marriage, and I'm like, I can't be this man. She, I, 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 I want to be so much for her. And, and God's like, let me birth something, but it's got to come in the tension. It's got to come in the stretching. It's got to come in the f muscle failure. And the reason why muscle failure is so important, those of us who go to the gym, you understand that when you have muscle failure, you are now causing micro tears in your muscles for them to grow. That's what we're looking for, right, Matt? Right? So anyway, so like, I'm just looking for somebody that's, physically fit and scary. So the, the truth is, is that, no, he could break my neck with his pinky. Um, 
The truth is, is that when you hit muscle fair, that's when true growth comes. That's what the waiting season is for, is true growth. Listen, I'm scared of things that swell. Because swelling means it's infected. I want things to grow, and healthy things grow. Pastor Adam taught me that. Whose voice are you listening to? Here's the second thing. Here's the second question to ask yourself in the meantime. Number one, whose voice are you listening to? Number two, what's he developing you on the inside? What's he developing on the inside of you right now? What's he addressing? What character issues? Well, maybe it's tithing. Maybe it's the way you speak to people. Maybe it's the emotions of your life. Maybe it's the thought processes. Maybe he's pulling down poverty mindsets and raising up kingdom focus. I mean, what is he developing on the inside of you? Because at some point, you're going to have to show your work. I remember uh, in high school, I'm telling you, I'm sure I'm not alone. I passed high school by the grace of Almighty God. I'm telling you, there is, it is literally the great, and my little sister. Um, I, I, I love math in elementary school and junior high because math made sense. Can I get a good amen, all right? It made sense. Two plus two equals, right? Someone said three, in the name of Jesus, all right? right? Four times four equals that's right. And so math made sense. But then you get into high school, like grade nine, right? And someone had the demonically inspired idea to throw the alphabet with all the numbers. And now X has the equal two minus seven equals B. What is X? I'm thinking, who cares? This is some demonic movement on my life to get me to figure out letters when I'm trying to know numbers here. And I would get in arguments. I'm talking like shouting matches with my pre-calc teacher. Because he would offer assignments. He would, he would say, everybody, I want your homework tonight to be, do all the problems on page 173. Well, I knew that I could get at least a 50 because all the answers to the odd problems, the odd number problems were in the back of the book. Come on, anybody else? Yeah, yeah, there's some honest people here today, right? Yeah, like, but it was just the answer. Because then he would say, I want you to do all the problems on page 173. And then he would say, and show, yeah, show your work. Man, those were words that just haunted me. I mean, I would even, I would even go right down and, and I would turn in just the answers without showing my work. And I'm like, here's the answer. And he'd be like, doesn't count. I'm like, it's the right answer. Even if it's a good guess, I should still get some credit. That's, that took something. And he would never credit me. I think the kingdom of God's the same way. You know, I was in a small group, Laura Dyer uh, and I and uh, a few others that were teachers uh, uh, in this church and now pastoring another church um, were in a small group. They're all teachers. And I, one day I asked them, I said, why do you continue the demonic harassment on poor young children and their innocent mind? Why do you cause them to lose sleep when you're trying to put the alphabet uh, with the numbers? Why do you do that? And they started laughing, knowing my sarcasm, my sense of humor. And they said, oh, Pastor Chris, they said, actually, that's something that we learn when we get our degree. Uh, we, are learned, we are taught a section called the mastering of content. When you have mastered the content, the only way that a teacher can tell that you've mastered the content is when you know how to show, show your work so you can show the path of problem solving to get to the answer. I think what happens many times, us as believers, is we know what scriptures to quote, we know what prayers to pray, we know what songs to sing, but we have not been showing our work. We know how to wear it. We know how to mask it, we know how to dress it up, but there's no character, there's no integrity, there's no power, there's no anointing, there's no authority, there's nothing that says, yep, they carry that. What I have found, watch this, what I have found is that people are okay with exposure and not experience. This is why everybody drinks from a podcast and not from a pulpit now. This is why everybody wants another book and another curriculum and another moment and another conference and let me go to this church and because I just feel it at this church. I don't know what you're trying to feel. I mean, oh, feel it. I had someone tell me, I just feel it here. I'm like, what do you feel? Because that's creepy, okay? Don't do that. You want friends? Don't do that, 
right? I, I'm, I, I'm telling you, they want exposure. I just want to be exposed to it and sound like I have it so I can trick everybody, including myself, into thinking I carry what I don't have. That's scary because guess what happens? The in the meantime just gets longer and longer and longer. What is he developing on the inside of you? You know, I, I wrote, I don't know if this is a haiku or a poem, but I remember when I was writing this message, God started putting this challenge in my heart. He said this. He said, waiting fights entitlement and teaches you inheritance. Waiting fights pride and teaches you patience. Waiting fights ambition and replaces it with vision. Waiting fights insecurity and teaches you identity. I love this one. Waiting fights the ungratefulness of not having enough. So you know how to be thankful for what's more than enough. Now, I want to take that one just a little bit deeper. I feel this in my heart. You know, it was amazing to me when Jesus took food and he, and he fed the masses, he always started with what was not enough. And then, it, you know, it was several loaves and several fishes, both times that we have record of it in all the Gospels, right? And it was always, I mean, he's feeding 5,000 people and it's just a handful of fish. I mean, but what does he do? He takes it, he blesses it, and he gives thanks. He is literally thanking God for what's not enough. Why? Because he will know what it was like, he will know what it's like to have more than enough and still carry a grateful heart. If you can be grateful when you don't have enough, you'll definitely be grateful when you have more than enough. And God can trust you with promotion and trust you with prosperity and trust you with stewardship, all because you waited properly. Are are you seeing this? Come on, talk to me, church. Are you seeing this? I think we need to recognize the season that we're in, the moment that we're in, the opportunity that we have. When God gives us a prophetic word or he gives us a promise, he is testing us from that moment. I think uh, the waiting teaches you to hear his voice so you know what he's developing on the inside so you know what door to walk through. I've watched people walk through some wrong doors. I've watched people walk into some wrong relationships, some wrong partnerships, some wrong decisions. And I think what happens is there's a layer of spiritual maturity where God will take you in a season and you get to choose your next step, the direction of God on your life based on the one door that stays open, right? I'm waiting for all the doors to open and the ones that shut, those are obvious snows and the one that stays open, I'm walking through that one. But then there comes a moment in your spiritual journey that you have to mature yourself because what happens is you now have every door open and none of them shut. So now which one do I choose? Because the hardest decisions aren't what's good and what's bad, it's what's good and what's God. Those are the hardest decisions. And when we learn to hear his voice, guess what happens? We don't only hear his voice, we recognize what he's been developing inside of us. And many times what he's been working on inside of us is the exact tool set we need to walk through the door and be successful and faithful on the other side of promotion. Are you following me? Can I help somebody else out? I just feel this in my heart. I, I remember a long time ago, I felt like, I felt like God was holding back on me. I had all this promise, all these prophetic words, and now God's not giving it to me. And, and then one day, God comes to me and he says, son, that's my mercy, not my rejection. I said, what are you talking about? He said, son, the enemy would love for you to have premature, premature promotion. He would love for me to just take this and put it on you, even though your marriage isn't ready, your kids aren't ready, your integrity's not there yet, your spiritual discipline, your spiritual muscle's not ready to carry all of this, and it's going to crush you. And he would love for me to do that to you. So then you get jaded at me and never serve me again. It is my mercy that I'm giving you promotion in my timing because I know what you can handle. It's not just all the attacks. Come on, is anyone else grateful that God allows what we can handle in our life? 
some of you are like, whoa, let me just, I, you have that look on your face. Let me help you out. All right. This is fresh. I, I remember reading in Job. Do you remember when God comes, uh, the sons of God come and they start getting in line? Do you remember who else is in line? Satan. It says he has to wait in line. Even God makes Satan wait in line. I love that. Like, no, you wait. <laughs> right? He gets to his, he gets to, finally he gets to approach God and God addresses him. He says, hey, what have you been up to? He says, I've been running all over the earth uh, looking for someone basically to sabotage. And God, look who brings up Job. It's not Satan. It's God. Have you considered my servant Job? Hey, nobody like this man on the earth. And then, watch this. The devil says, does he serve God for nothing? For you've put a hedge of protection around him. I can't touch him. Let's stop the story right here. How would Satan know there's a hedge of protection? Had he not tried to attack him multiple times before and God denied it and God canceled it and God destroyed it and he was working on it. You only know the stuff that's going on in your life. When we get on that side of heaven, we're going to know all the stuff God was good enough to protect us from and shield us from and provide for us and fight our own battles and take care of us. And we didn't even know. I got to trust the process. I got to trust. That's what the waiting teaches you. Here's the last question. Number three. Number three, all right? Remember, number one, whose voice are you listening to? Number two, what's he developing on the inside of you? Number three, do you desire the promise more than the promise served? This is heavy right here. This is real heavy right here because this will challenge your motives and your integrity like that. Why do you really want this promise? Is it to show that you arrived and you can outshine and outgrind and outhustle everybody? You're outfavored, you're so special? And did you miss your heart? Did you miss the lesson? Did you miss the opportunity that you could have had a greater relationship, a stronger connection with the promiser, not just the promise? I, 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 we, Eric and I have a, a wonderful man of God in our life, Dean. Dean's a real estate developer here in the DFW area. This man has taught me so much about prayer. Um, he, he's a wise businessman, very wealthy. When he started doing real estate, uh, he was doing real estate development, which means he would buy a piece of land and it was zoned to be a shopping mall and he rezoned it to be a subdivision for homes and then he resell it to a builder and he would make money. He's, he's a genius. And I, I remember one day he saw that I was struggling uh, just in the process of waiting and I want promise now. I'm so hungry. I want promotion. I want notoriety. I want to be found. I want to be significant. I, I want to have some influence. And he starts, uh, he starts noticing, so he offers to buy me breakfast and um, Come on, how many know when these older saints offer to buy you breakfast, that's going to be a fun conversation, right? So I, we go, and I remember we sit down, and he starts to ask, tell me where you're at, where's your heart, how's it going? I mean, just really starts really fathering uh, me in a moment. And I start telling him some things, and he says, let me tell you a story. He says, in the 1980s, I was doing real estate out in New Mexico. He said, I, was, I, I had more than enough in the bank. I had plenty of properties to, for sale. I was, I was on top of the game. I think he was the top salesman in all of New Mexico for the decade. I mean, it was just incredible. And then overnight, there was a credit crisis, and all the credit dried up just like that in New Mexico. He went from having millions in the bank to owing the bank $750,000. Like, that's a bad day. Let's just be honest. We've all had bad. That's not a bad day. That's bad day. <laughs> that's like a real bad day. $750,000, right? So... Dean's not, doesn't have a work ethic problem. He's a strong worker. He still works to this day. He's 80-something. I mean, he, he, it wasn't that he didn't have uh, work to do. There was just no work. So he said, you know what? I know what I need to do. I'm going to chase after the promiser. 
because all this was promised. I'm chased after the promise. So he begins to pray, and he starts just dedicating his whole day. He'd wake up, go into his office in his house, and he'd just spend time with the Lord. Read the scriptures, pray, worship, quiet himself, listen, engage. I mean, he was just constantly. And he said about day four, day five, he got into this place with God. Man, I don't know why I'm getting messed up talking about it, because I think all of us know when we feel like God is that close. When you've gone through tragedy, when you've gone through pain, when you go through uncertainty, and all of a sudden his presence becomes closer than your skin. I'm telling you, when he begins to speak, I mean, you, you're emotional, you're weeping at everything. You're weeping at your desk, you're weeping at lunch, you're weeping at, you're weeping at commercials. I remember weeping at a paper towel commercial. I'm like, you're so good. He's just soaking it all over. Like you're just so spiritually sense about everything. Everything makes sense. And, it's a, and he just said he got into this place, this beautiful place with the Lord. About 12, 13 days into this, all of a sudden his phone rings. It's the president of a bank. He said, Dean, you need to get down here. There's two men here that want to make an offer on a piece of property, and I'm sure you could use it. He said, all right, I'll be right there. They get in this conference room. They sit down. This man takes an envelope out of his jacket pocket and puts it on the table, and he says, we're not here to negotiate. This is one-time offer. Take it or leave it. Sign the paper if you want. And so Dean's like, okay, anything's better than nothing. So he opens up the envelope. It is a check for $1 million. <laughs> like, no, you need to get more excited. Like, $1 million, okay? $1 million, $1 milli, all right? When's the last time you got a check like that that you didn't write to yourself? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> you know? I've done it. Just increase my, I'm like, I'm a millionaire in Jesus' name. Like, I, I, I mean, $1 million. So when he told me this as we're having breakfast, I shouted. I said, man, I bet you cash that fast. I bet you deposit that quick. And he said, no. I waited a whole nother week. I said, are you crazy? He said, that's the problem right here, son. He said, I was worried that the time I was having with the Lord would go away. And it, all of a sudden, my faith and my fire and my passion and my focus would be replaced because now my prayer had been answered. And I didn't want it to end up in the bank account. I wanted it to stay with me, so I waited one more week till I was ready to deposit that check. This man resisted promotion, blessing, and opportunity because he wanted the promiser more than the promise. God comes to Moses and says, I'll give you the promised land. I'll even give you a choice angel. They'll drive out all the ites. Remember this? But I'm not coming with you because I might destroy all of you on the way. And Moses is like, no, we ain't going nowhere then. Because if you're not with us, we're no different. How will people know we're yours if you're not with us? I love one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It actually has to do with waiting. It's Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Let's just break this down. I'm going to break it down as we read it. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know what that word wait means? It means kavah, Q-A-V-A-H. It literally means to bind yourself to something. So if this was Jesus, this pulpit was Jesus, and I was going to wait on Jesus, I would take a rope and I would kavah myself to this. That's what waiting means. Binding yourself, his will becomes your will. His thoughts become your thoughts. His passions, his polarities, his characteristics become all of you because you are bonded. You are now one. Are you following me? That's what it means to wait. You're becoming one. It's oneness. But those who wait on the Lord, watch this, shall renew their strength. This is interesting because I've met people who've been waiting 20 years and they're the most jaded people you'll ever meet. They're the most cynical, critical. They think somehow they figured out out of their experience. Because now they go from living from exposure to experience, and now it's all about experience and not encounter. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And then watch this. They shall mount up on wings of eagles. This is interesting because the Bible could have put a dove. It could have put quail. It could have put a crow. 
but it chose eagle. Why is this so important? Because eagles fly higher than any other bird. When, they, when eagles come against and uh, encounter turbulence, you know what they do? They don't come under the turbulence. They just fly higher. They fly above all the challenges, above all the trials, above all the problems, above all the fears. Are you seeing this? And then eagles have the best sight of any creature on the planet. This is, this is prophetic sight saying that when you wait on the Lord and you wait correctly, you'll have a renewed sense of strength and then you'll see heaven's perspective and you get to see the bigger picture which means patience starts to come on your life because you know he's got to work out all these pieces for you. And then it says, they shall run, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Man, I can't tell you how many times I found myself walking when I should have been running and running when I should have been walking. And I was fine tiredness, busyness. I mean, I was busy, but I had no breakthrough. Uh, busyness, you know, if we're not careful, busyness will deaden our spirit so quick. It'll cause our senses, our spiritual senses to go so dull. This is what the waiting teaches us. I, I think there are people in this room who have great promise. But I also think the fulfillment is what we all desire. But not at the expense of losing the promiser. Would you stand up with me this morning? I really sense a good presence of God in this place. I want to say this, just to remind you. In the meantime, the whole lesson being taught is who you're becoming while you're waiting is more important than what you're waiting for. I'll say it again. Who you're becoming right now as you wait is more important to heaven than what you might be waiting for. I'm here to tell you that there is a grace to wait in this place. God can give you patience. He can give you understanding. He can give you perspective. And all of those things working on your heart, discipling you to wait. Because if you don't go through the process to get it, you will never have the power to keep it. And I'm tired of premature fulfillment on people. I'm tired of people mismanaging prosperity or mismanaging breakthrough. They're humble at the beginning. They're prideful at the end. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've ended up in that same category. I feel like they have a street named after me there. I've been there so much. I, I, I want the people in this church. I want people all over this house. The marriage is represented. The kids represented. The business is represented. That you would trust in God and lean into him more than anything else in your life. Because you know his voice. You know what he's developing. And you've chosen him over anything that he could ever give you. If you're in this place this morning. And you say, Pastor Chris, I got some promises. I feel like I have outstanding promises. But I want to finish. That's the title of our book, Finisher. Go get the book. I, I, I want to finish. I, I'm tired of delaying. I'm tired of enlarging this meantime. I'm tired of causing it to be longer than it should be. You say, I want to get to fulfillment. I want to learn to wait. I need a grace to wait. Would you pray with me? Would you raise your hand real high so I can see you? Who, is, who am I talking to? Look at a lot of hands. That's because there's so much promise in this room. This is great. Take that hand. Put it on your heart. I want to pray over you. Father, I thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. You are looking at the opportunity to break forth into promotion, manifesting the breakthrough, the blessing that we are all desiring. God, you are looking for a man or a woman to be okay with the in the meantime. Pray for a grace to wait. That you are working out the bigger picture and not just my world. Lord, I pray for a grace to wait. I pray for the fear of failure to fall off of them. The fear of missing moments, that FOMO, the fear of missing out, God. I, I just break it off of people's lives right now. That you are big enough. If, even if they were to miss a moment, they have such a good covenant with you. If, even if they were to miss a moment, you are big enough to bring that moment right back around.
I don't care how bad they messed up in their first marriage, God. They're getting healed, they're getting whole, and they're not going to repeat it. I don't care how bad they've done with their parenting, God. You're going to redeem the time, and you're going to put them in a place of wisdom and strength. I don't care how bad the first business wins. Uh, Lord, I thank you that success and promotion and prosperity with the purpose is coming their way. God, I pray for promise to possess us. And Lord, may we never forget the true desire of the promiser. That we don't want all these things at the expense of not having you. It means nothing. You know, I sense there's people in this room. You're like, man, I don't even know where to start. I don't know if I have promises. I definitely don't have fulfillment. Truth is, the only way you start with promises is you start with the promiser. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, there's no better time than right now. I'll tell you what, when you give your life to the Lord, He takes that sin that has been staining your mind, your heart, your emotions, your life, and He washes you completely clean, completely pure. He then starts to work on all of the healing that needs to take place and all the blessing that's owed to you. He then begins to make you whole again, not just in your body, but in your thoughts, even your emotions. Some of you, I feel like there might be one or two people that haven't been sleeping well at night. I feel like God's going to give you the best sleep you've ever had tonight. The truth is we get all of that under a new covenant under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't want to ask, we, we, we never do this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we never do a service, I know, for Church on the Hill without ever asking, is there anyone here who needs to give their life to Jesus? Maybe you've been in and out of church, but you've never surrendered to the Lord. This is your moment. Or perhaps maybe you've never even stepped foot into church and something got you out of bed and came, brought you here. We're so honored to have you. What a special moment for us to be in your life. But there's no moment like this one right now. This is the most important decision you'll ever have in your life. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to surrender it now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you raise your hand high and say, Pastor Chris, pray with me. Pray with me. This, uh, this is me. You're talking to me. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Please. I'll wait another seven seconds. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. My goodness, hands going up. I love it. I love it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Awesome. I love it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You put your hands down. You know, church, the first thing God said was bad was that man should not be alone. Which means we were never meant to do anything by ourselves in this kingdom, in this relationship with him. So I believe that the first step should be with family. You, you thought you were coming to church, you just walked into a family meeting is what you did. And I believe we should pray together. I don't want to tell my friends that raise their hands, can I tell you, there's nothing just, there's nothing magical uh, about the words, it's the meaning in your heart. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you shall never perish and have everlasting life. I love the whole church. Would you repeat after me? Let's pray with some strength. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I thank you that you died for me and you rose again and you're alive today. I thank you. I give you my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I give you my pain and I receive your healing. My life is yours. I want you the promiser more than any promise in my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.